Authors on the Air with Terry Shepard, award-winning broadcaster, narrator, and author of the Jessica Ramirez Thrillers. Brought to you by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thanks, Lisa. Carrie Ann King is back with her 13th book, Improbably Yours, and it's another page-turner. Our visit reviewed the addicting plot, colorful characters, and how a writer grounded in science so comfortably creates stories that often touch on the paranormal. A young woman who is on a fast track to a high-powered life that she really doesn't want gets derailed by a surprise bequest that sends her off on a treasure hunt to a island that she didn't think actually even existed. And what genre does that fall under? (laughs) Technically, this is uh, first up women's fiction. We have a little debate going on right now whether women's fiction is even really a genre. This this is in the women's fiction world. It is general fiction. It is psychological fiction. It is humorous fiction. It is family drama. Um, all of those things. Take us a little deeper into the opening scene of Improbably Yours. The the scene, um, the introductory scene with um, she calls her Nomi, her grandmother. Her name is Naomi, but Blythe calls her Nomi. Um, the scene at the beginning is a, a kind of a prologue, kind of a scene where Blythe is a child. She's six and she's playing make believe with Grandma. And Grandma Nomi says, you know, she looks in her make believe crystal ball and says, "When you turn thirty." <laughs> You're going to go on a treasure hunt to an island. And then Blythe draws the map in crayon um, of this island that she just makes up out of her own head and puts an X on it. And then Nomi makes up a latitude and longitude out of cards that they draw from a deck of cards. And then we go to present time where Blythe is... Yes, she's about to accept the marriage proposal from a guy who, you know, is on fast track to be a millionaire. Blythe has realized maybe she doesn't really love him so much anymore, but he proposes in front of God and everybody in a huge garden party. And as he's down on one knee asking the question, a little balloon man comes in um, with a special little message from Grandma, who's been deceased for quite some time. And yes, then Blythe has to make a decision. Will she go off and follow this adventure um, to this place that is apparently the map that she drew as a six-year-old child, or will she stay and continue on with the life that everybody else has planned for her? Where in the world did that construct come from? <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't, I don't know where this came from. Um, I don't. I I was writing, Blythe started talking to me. I knew that there was going to be some kind of a fun detour in this book. And I can't remember how it all kind of came together. I, honest to God, um, now that you ask, I, I, I don't have it. Nope. It was one of those just showed up ideas. Artists often say that their best ideas seem to come through them and not from them. Is that the story here? I really think it it pretty much always comes through me. I 
generally a character will show up and I'll start writing and they'll tell me some things, which is what happened with my last book, Other People's Things. Um, the main character in that book just, you know, presented herself and said, hey, here I am. I have this um, unusual problem and you have to fix it. So that happened. And with Blythe, I think it started with the treasure hunt with the, you know, the child and the grandmother and the map and um, just kind of grew from there. After reading your last book, Other People's Things, I was halfway hoping that Nickel would show up again in this story. Oh, from Other People's Things. <laughs> well, well, hold that thought because I really am planning. I haven't got around to it yet because I've been busy uh, writing a different book, but I am planning a spinoff series for Nickel and Hawk from Other People's Things. So the plan is that they will be operating out of a, a PI agency that uses uh, Nickel's special gift of needing to relocate objects and magical kind of things happen when she does so. Uh, so that's the plan. How much does reader feedback influence the way you write? Most of the time, not that much. Sorry, readers. I love you. I love you so much. Um, with other people's things, the fact of the idea of doing the spinoff did come from readers. I had a lot of comments from readers asking for more Hawk and Nickel. So uh, in that case, it did. As far as the other books go, really, honestly, I very selfishly write what makes me happy for the most part. And when I get an idea that really just wants to be written, I have to write it. That's the way that goes. You have some amazing secondary characters in every one of your books. Take us through a few of those in Improbably Yours. Flynn, uh, for example, Flynn is a Viking, which is funny because I do live with Vikings. So there might have been a little bit of um, something going on there, to be honest. Flynn, though, you know, he's a big, grumpy kind of a guy with a backstory. He's scarred. He's a little damaged, but really soft in the center, um, really trying to do the right thing. He's been called home to Vinland Island, where much of the action takes place, to take care of his orphaned niece. And... He, that's all I knew about him to start with. And then, I don't know, he just ended up having a scar and a backstory that I didn't know anything about. Then I had to figure out, well, where did you get that scar from? How did that happen? Why are you so grumpy? Why did you leave the island? You know, all of those things. So that kind of grew itself in the writing. Um, there's a little girl named Savannah who is 12, who's been orphaned. I loved her. She she had her own point of view scenes for a while, but I ended up having to cut them. My editors didn't think I needed them, and I, we argued a little bit, and then I decided maybe they were right. Um, anyway, Savannah has secrets of her own, and she has an agenda. When Blythe shows up on the island, Savannah does not want her there initially, um, mostly because of the house. The house is a character. Can we talk about the house? And the island. The island is a powerful character, too. <laughs> the island, Vinland, where Blythe uh, goes uh, to pursue her grandmother's treasure hunt, <laughs> is an island that Blythe thought was completely mythical. But turns out that there is actually this place in the Pacific Northwest, in the San Juan Islands, I made it up, by the way. It, it doesn't exist, but it's called Vinland. And it has an annual summer treasure hunt where 
people can pay to come and actually follow clues and seek for treasure. Now, you can only get to this island if you live there, have an inn, or are on the treasure hunt. So by the time Blythe is ready to go to the island, there's really no place for her to stay except this one house that is currently off the rental rotation. It's called Improbable House. It's kind of a little rundown. It might be a little bit haunted and it has ravens that live on the roof. Um, Flynn is responsible for the house and Savannah has reasons to love the house and does not want uh, Blythe to be there. So that causes tension right away between all of everybody. <laughs> Part of what I love about your writing is how you resolve these complicated plot points into a final ending that's very satisfying. How do you do that? To, to figure out how to resolve the issues? Honestly, I follow the characters. I'm, I'm a very character-driven author. I kind of have a general idea where I'm going to go. And I, I know, I always know that I want to end on a hopeful or at least happy for now note. So I know we're not going towards a tragedy. But my characters kind of... I put them together in the room and I say, okay, talk amongst yourselves. What are you going to do? And generally their personalities that I've created by that time or that have created themselves, made themselves known to me, perhaps they go to work and it creates a kind of chemistry, alchemy, things begin to progress. I have ideas what things should happen in the plot line at a certain time. So I make sure that I'm raising the stakes or doing a surprise or a twist or whatever, but I usually don't know exactly what that's going to be until I get there. What do Carrie Ann King's five-star fans like most about her writing? Hmm. They love my characters a lot. Most of the time I get those kind of comments that the characters were really alive for them. Mind you, there are those people who say that my characters are over the top and they don't think that they're realistic. And that's okay because then they're not for you. And I'm cool with that. Um, and they do tend to like my plots. And the other thing that they tend to like is the, I usually have some kind of a psychological element, some kind of a, either a mental illness or a tragedy or a, a trauma of some kind that we work through the resolution of. Um, and there are a lot of people that respond to that element as well. You write as a split personality as Carrie Ann King and as Carrie Schaefer. How do those two authors differ in the stories they tell? Oh, you know, they don't want to differ. Here's the, here's the thing. Carrie Ann King, to be fair, was a little bit of an artificial construct because when I started um, publishing women's fiction, my publisher didn't want me to publish them as Carrie Shaper because they thought that my paranormal mysteries and fantasy might be confusing to readers who were then reading women's fiction. And as I started out as Carrie Ann King, my books were a little bit more um, reality-based. They're all reality-based. But as I've gone along, I've managed to sneak in a little bit more magic in each book, I think, and always the humor. So the two writers are not as far apart as they used to be. I feel. And actually, if I do the spinoff series for other people's things, I am seriously considering um, having those books be written by both Carrie Schaefer and Carrie Ann King and putting both names on the cover. 
just because it would be fun, right? You have had a career that really is science-based in many ways, but you write paranormal so well, too. How do those two concepts coexist in an author's mind? Okay, so I've always liked the idea that there are things in the world that we do not understand. Um, that's always been a thing for me. And really, my life has not been as science-based as you'd think. The, the nursing thing, yes, definitely science-based. And yet, there's a whole lot of intuitive knowing that went into my work as a nurse, I've always kind of had a sense of things that maybe some people did not. And, and I'm aware of that. Like, I've known when people were going to die before when the doctors were saying, oh, no, I think they'll be okay. And I'll be like, no, <laughs> no, no, they're not. Um, I remember my, before I was even a nurse, when my grandmother was dying, and the doctor was telling my mom, there was no need to come. And I'm on the phone to my mother, you know, at the time, I was I'm 19, 20, I'm on the phone to my mother, because I lived where my grandma mother was. And I was like, no, you need to come now. She's dying. I was right. Doctor was wrong. Um, and I've kind of had a sense like that, you know, with some of my nursing patients where I knew stuff. Um, don't know how or why. And as a counselor, psychology is kind of a pseudoscience. It's, it's not a hard science at all. You know, you, you have to just kind of trust your gut a lot. And I always have. Um, and it's more fun to have a little magic in the world. I've just always believed that. So when I write things, I am very happy to invite a little bit of that in um, based in reality. And yet just because my life's like that, you know, all those things you're like, how did that happen? Where did that come from? I don't believe that actually happened. You know, um, People who don't think they believe in magic often believe in miracles. So it's the same thing, kind of. How do you define success? Oh, okay. So, you know, that's the big question, isn't it? That I'm always redefining it. So part of me really wants to define success as, oh my God, I made the New York Times bestseller list. I hit number one, not just with one book, but with like five. I've sold millions of copies. It's been translated in a gazillion languages and I have, oh, a whole bunch of movie deals. That would be nice. I, I would like that, but as the way that I live my life, that version of success isn't um, isn't likely to buy me happiness, I feel. Um, even if I did achieve that, then you'd have to try and keep it. So although it would be lovely, um, I'm working to define success as, number one, I am loving what I do. That's the biggest success in life, I, I think, is figuring out something that lights you up that makes you happy and also gives some pleasure, joy, happiness, relief, whatever to others. And that's the thing I'm always constantly striving for is to be in that place. How will you be promoting Improbably Yours? I have set up a treasure hunt thing um, because I think treasure hunts are really cool. And well, there's a treasure hunt in the book. So why not? So if you want to get involved in the treasure hunt and there are fabulous prizes, I am giving away actually a t-shirt that I designed that has Vinland, the island that the treasure hunt takes place. It's a Vinland t-shirt, which also does have uh, a raven. I forgot to mention the talking raven that occurs in this book. Um, and it, it has a raven. 
and it has a picture of the book. So you get a t-shirt, you get a signed paperback copy of the book. And I have a lovely little pendant that has a raven, two ravens actually sitting in a world tree on a silver chain. So that's the grand prize that one person will win. And then I'll be giving away another couple of t-shirts and some books and some other things as we go along. So to get in on this, you need your treasure map. You can get that at a bit.ly link. So it's bit.ly backslash. You all know how to use bit.ly. Um, improbably yours treasure. And that will take you to the sign up form. You can download your treasure map and that'll give you all the treasure stops and let you know what you need to do to win. Bit.ly slash improbably yours treasure. That's the book Improbably Yours by Carrie Ann King. Launching October 18th everywhere. Terry, thanks for joining us on Authors on the Air. Thank you. Authors on the Air with Terry Shepard is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Check out Chasing the Captain, the newest Jessica Ramirez thriller from Terry Shepard, available in print, digital, and audiobook. I'm Lisa Davis. Join Terry in the next chapter for Authors on the Air. Mm-hmm.